all we need. So as Mark gives your message today, we lift him up to be your vessel and to be your voice for us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. because I hope it's true for each of us that nothing else will do but Jesus. By the way, whether we believe it or not, it just flat out is the truth. Nothing else will matter. In the end, when we uh, face eternity, the only question that will matter is what did you do with Jesus? I'm so thankful God has a plan. Because we would be in a world of trouble if he didn't. Amen? Thank the Lord for that. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Romans chapter 1. We're going to begin with the 16th verse. Those of you who are familiar with this passage know this is a tough passage. I won't be preaching this morning on things that make us feel good. How many of you know that's not the preacher's job? preacher's job is to encourage you, but he's to encourage you to live for Jesus, to commit your life to the cause of Christ, to let the mind of Christ have his way in your life. That's encouragement. He is not to encourage you to continue to live an old way of living. Amen? The world does that without my help. The world wants you to believe that you can live any way you want to. You can trust in anything you want to. You can believe anything you want to and still go to heaven. I'm here to tell you that's not true. The Bible says there is one way, and that way is Jesus. Um, And that's what the pastor's there for. That's where the preacher comes, that comes to present the gospel. We live in a world today that is very much opposed to the gospel. You don't have to live very long in this world until you'll come face to face with the fact that there are lots of influences in our world today endeavoring to change your mind about how important the gospel is to your everyday life. They want to limit the gospel. They want to tell you that the gospel isn't as all-encompassing as the Bible would have us to believe, that that you can pretty much believe what you want to and everything will just be okay because we, we uh, serve a God who is so in love with us, He loves us just like we are. I'm here to tell you that God loves us so much, He loves you enough not to want you to stay the way you are. Amen. Um, I, um, uh, and I imagine most of us did have parents who loved us. Uh, But I can promise you that your parents did not love you so much that they wanted you to go up without a good influence in life. Amen? 
they would very early in your life see evidence in your life and the way that you're living as a child and they would say there are some things about my child that need correcting I can't just let my kid grow up the way he is headed because there's trouble in store for him if I don't do something and so parents have the responsibility to call their kids when they're doing wrong and correct them amen if you don't, if you don't think that that's true for your children, I'd sure love to meet your children. Because I don't know any kids that don't need correcting. I certainly did. Um, and my parents did a good job. Um, they believed in corporate punishment. Amen. It, um, it, it hurt, too. I'll just tell you, their kind of corporate punishment. My dad was a belt user. He used a belt. Um, now, he would occasionally think about a switch but that wasn't as handy you had to go outdoors for a switch and all he had to do was go down the hall to his bedroom and find the uh, correct utensil to correct me and he did anytime I needed correcting my dad was Johnny on the spot but let me tell you this he never enjoyed it he never enjoyed correcting me he hated that part of parenting parenting he hated to do it. I have, now my dad spanked me enough to where it hurt and I cried. Anybody here know what that's like? Uh, my dad would say, if you don't stop crying, I'm going to give you some more. Remember that? But I want to tell you something. There are, there were, one other thing, an admonition, stop running. You know, whenever I'd be jumping around so much he couldn't hit you. And he wanted, a, he wanted a viable target. He wanted a target that wasn't moving. So you're supposed to lay across the bed and take it like a man or like a woman and uh, not move. You're supposed to get there. You deserve this and you're going to get it. So he would whip me. But I have, now you may find this hard to believe, but I've seen my father cry when he gave me a spanking. Why? Because he loved me. He loved me so much he hated hurting me. But he knew that hurting me was better than letting me go the way I wanted to go. Because I was headed for trouble and it was very important to him to try and persuade me to change direction in life. Amen? Let me tell you something. Your heavenly Father loves you that much and more. Does he love you? Yes, he does. But whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He whips them. He gives them a spanking. Amen? Now, that's not easy to swallow for some of us, is it? But God knows what's important in your life. He knows what you'd be if he did not exert a good influence in your life. He knows where you'd be headed. And the passage we're going to read here this morning is principally about that. A lot of times what we do when we read chapter 1 of Romans is we head to the bad stuff and we go, oh, that's terrible. How many of you are familiar with the phrase, but for the grace of God, there I go, or there go I. Amen? How many of you think that's true for you? You better raise your hand. You ain't never done a good thing by yourself, amen? Any good influence in your life has always come because God's mercy. Because left to your own advice, 
as that baby boy, that little baby child will teach you, you'd be a selfish tyrant. You'd be mean-spirited and harsh and want your own way, and you'd hurt everybody else to get it. Amen? But for the grace of God. Now, I know it's hard for us to think of little babies laying there in your arm asleep. and You just want to kiss them, take a bite out of chubby little legs. You know what I mean? Boy, they just, they just almost edible, huh? Look at that baby. Mean as a snake. Amen. Come on. You've seen them when they aren't laying there peaceful and they've got a smile on their face. You've seen them when they want their way and they'll let everybody know about it. And pitch a fit. Goodness gracious. Little three-month-old baby just pitch a fit. Doesn't even know what it's crying about. It has two wants or a couple of wants. Wants to be warm. Wants to be full. And wants to be dry. And if you meet those, com those concerns, baby's pretty good. You mess up, baby lets you know. I've seen churches filled with people like that. Oh, come on, you can say amen to that. We need to get past that, don't we? God expects us not to stay babies. That's a good reason why a lot of us need every once in a while Take a look in the mirror, amen? I go to Romans chapter 1 often because of the time I live in. I live in a scary time. I've seen a moral decay, a decline in our society in my years. And I'm sure a lot of you have too. There are young people here sitting today in the church who have never known anything but what they see today. They don't know what church used to look like 50 years ago or 60 years ago. Amen? They don't know what that is. To them, this is church and this is as good as they've ever seen it. And that scares me. I said, that scares me. Oh, for revival. Oh, for a move of the Holy Spirit in our midst. A time when God moves in such a fashion that people cannot just sit still. They sense His power and His presence so clearly that they are either rejoicing or they're in fear. And by the way, I want you to know that the God I serve is a loving God, but He is a God to be feared. It is a fearsome thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. God help us, we shouldn't forget that. Yes, we have a loving Heavenly Father. But this is a Heavenly Father who knows exactly what judgment is. And one day, everyone here will face judgment. The time when we're called before the Holy presence of God and we must give account for the lives we've lived now if we're Christians it'll be our works that are judged because we've been covered by the blood we've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ his blood his atonement has paid the price for us but still we face a judgment because the Lord calls us into his presence and said what did you do I gave you everything what did you do with it I put a light into your heart and into your life. Did you shed that light abroad where you lived? 
that everyone that you came in contact with knew that there was something different about you. The living God Himself had, had, had moved into this carcass and His life and His light was emanating from me and it was changing the world I lived in. We're going to be called to account for that. Now that ought to cause us to say, man, maybe I should pay a little more attention. Maybe it should cause us to look around at the church that we're a part of and begin to get a real burden for it and to begin to travail God. Oh God, bring us revival. Oh God, please move among us again. Cause hearts to swell with Your presence. Cause people to be broken before You, Father. Cause people to desire You to want Jesus more than anything else in life. But we're not there. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now Paul says there in the beginning two verses we read here, he talks about how thankful he is for the gospel. But here's a danger. To hold the truth of the gospel in your lives and in your heart and yet live a life that is unrighteous before God. I want to talk this morning about how life can go downhill quickly because of the decisions you make, the decisions I make. And it begins with this thought. The gospel of God is powerful. What he has revealed to us in his gospel, it's a, a plan that is unfolded. Do you realize that, that before Jesus came, Nobody could figure out how God could take care of sin. I mean, everybody knew that animals being killed was not sufficient. How could they ever pay for what I've done? For God to say that the animals were killed and their blood splattered all over an altar and, and animal after animal goes by the way and it's never satisfied because you had to come and do it over and over again. That wasn't a solution and everybody knew it. But herein is the issue. It was a great mystery. Everybody wondered how, how can this be? What is God going to do? That's why when Jesus come, came, nobody understood. Because they didn't see that Jesus could be an answer to the mystery of our salvation. 
it's hard for us to be here this morning and comprehend what that really is like because most of us here have heard the gospel all of our life. Some of the youngest here probably have enough of a handle on the gospel. They could preach the gospel to lost and people would get saved. That's how much we know. But knowing the gospel and then living a life like it doesn't matter is a serious issue for us. You think the church is party to that? You know, we sang Hillsong worship song here a few minutes ago. Y'all know what's going on in Hillsong? It's falling apart worldwide. Pastor's been caught in a compromising situation. He stepped out. Churches, satellite churches all over in this country, some of them gone back away, just taking their ties with Hillsong away. What's happened? Well, they held the gospel. Somebody's holding the gospel in unrighteousness. In other words, they're living their life like the gospel doesn't matter. How dangerous is it for us to have so much of the gospel preached to us that we get complacent and we don't see the reality that we must adhere to what God's plan is for us or we are on the way to a very bad place. It's been said often that the church is either in one of two places. It's either in revival or it's backsliding. That's quite a thought, isn't it? Well, you think about it. You don't have revival because you plan for one, amen? You can, you can have a plan for a revival from now on. You can have a revival every week. Doesn't mean you ever have revival. Because in our mind, what revival is, is scheduled services. That's not what a revival is. A revival is when people are revived spiritually. They were complacent. They were not paying attention to their spiritual lives. And then suddenly, because of prayer and some people who are travailing and crying on God to move, there is a revival and people across a congregation or across a city or across a nation begin to sense the power of God and responding to it, there is a sweeping revival and people's lives are changed all over. That's revival. Today, we don't even pretend to have revivals. Come on, church. Amen? We don't have camp meetings anymore. We don't have revivals because we're all pretty good. We all love the Lord. We're all living our lives, and we have it good here in America. We don't have any problems. Oh, we might have a physical issue now and then, so we call on God to help us, and we should. But I'm going to tell you something. There's not a single person here that's going to leave this world alive. We're all going to die. The question isn't whether you will die. The question is, are you ready? Amen. You better be ready. Because once you, once you pass this mortal plane, there are no decisions to be made. They've all been made, so it's too late then. 
If you have a handle on the truth this morning, you better be careful with how you handle it because I'm telling you, you don't want to handle the truth in unrighteousness. Because from that place, there's a deadly downward spiral. You can never stop spiritually. You are either seeking God with all your heart. You're, you're trying more and more to be like Jesus. Your one desire is to know Him. Paul said, this one thing I do. This one thing. How many Christians are there today who can say, there's just one thing I want. It's to be like Jesus. Because either that is your upward trajectory or not able to stay static in your relationship spiritually you're downward spiraling. The Bible says that when we get to heaven, we will know even as we are known. I'm not sure what that means. Because I don't know if I could ever know how much God loves me. Oh, He loves me. Oh, He loves you. But His love comes with a certainty that He knows what tomorrow brings. He knows what the end will look like for you. And His desire, it is not God's will that any should perish. Do you hear that? It's not God's will that any should perish. How are you handling the truth this morning, people? Are you having revival? Now I know life is up and down. Yesterday was a, a terrible day for me. You ever had one of those days when you woke up and you were just grumpy? My wife knows what's that like. She was living with me yesterday. I struggled yesterday. I couldn't figure out what was going on. You know, each of us faces a spiritual battle day by day. The devil wants to destroy us. He wants to defeat us. And he works in ways that we don't really recognize sometimes while it's happening. We just think it's life. Oh, but he has a plan too. He wants to destroy us. If he can, if he can waylay us spiritually and have us off on a sidetrack somewhere... He's happy with that. You don't have to go out into deep sin for him to win. He just needs you on a siding. Amen. Not on the main track, on a, on a siding. You can even look like you're still going good. I mean, a train sitting on the siding looks like it's ready. Amen. All except for there's no engine in front. It's just sitting there. There's nothing happening. 
hold the truth in unrighteousness. I'm going to read through this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, verse 18, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. How does God do that? When it says that which may be known, it's not talking about everything that can be known. It's talking about that which may be known of God apart from God's direct influence. How many of you ever stood on the beach and looked out at the ocean? You ever done that? Or been on top of a mountain and just looked out? Or seen a, just a, a, a sunset that just took your breath away? Have you ever sensed God there? I mean so much that you begin to weep. Where does that come from? What can be known of God has been manifested to you. There's a, there's a part of you, if you will, a God-shaped hole in you. That God is placed there and when you see something that He's done, the creation, or you hold that little baby the first time that's your child and you look down into the face of that child and suddenly you go, only God could have done this. I don't know Him, but there must be a God if this is true. I imagine that most people here have sensed that apart from a direct revelation through Scripture of God, just creation, God shows Himself. And if you don't believe that, try to find me any civilization in history that did not have a place for God in their society, in their culture. You say, well, they're just trying to explain the unexplainable. Yeah. But we've become too smart to believe that today, right? Wrong. No, uh-uh. You know what today scientists are saying? That scientific evidence, the evidence in science points to the fact that there had to be a designer because this could not happen by itself. In all of our wisdom, somehow, in spite of ourselves, we come to good conclusions. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that we are without excuse. There's no way we'll ever be able to stand before him and say, nobody ever read the Bible to me. Because God said, didn't you ever see that sunset? Didn't you ever hold your newborn child? Didn't you ever sense that there was a God in the universe and that maybe what you should do is seek Him? 
Now, let me tell you something. I believe this with all my heart. <clears throat> you will be judged based on what you know. Isn't that a comforting thought? You'll be judged based on what you know. So if, if you're someone who has never heard the gospel before, I think God's going to judge you based on that. What does that mean? I don't know. That's the reason that's a job only he has. He didn't put me and you there because we might not do a good job with it. If you look at our history, that's probably an understatement. Amen? Look at how we treat people that don't agree with us. But there's a word of caution there. If God judges based on what we know, I wonder if it has anything to do with that verse that says judgment begins at the house of God. That this is where it begins. Why is that? Because God has blessed us. <laughs> we have Bibles. How many of you have more than one Bible? Now, keep your hand up. How many of you have more than two Bibles? Nobody's putting their hand down. Three Bibles. Nobody's putting their hand down. Four Bibles. How many of you don't know how many Bibles you have? Hands still up. Do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying here? How much excuse will we have? No, no, no squeak room there, is there? Because that when they knew God, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful. but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. And in many cases, that is the condition of the church that you and I are a part of. How do you remember when we used to have services where people, and by the way, we almost had people praising God today. Did you? Oh, man, I just love that. How many of you remember times when we had services where people just gave glory to God? They just praised the Lord. I mean, there would be a service. Y'all remember that? Didn't get to preach. God came. Amen. How long has it been since you gave God glory? And you were truly thankful. I'm not talking about you said, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, let's go home. I mean, when you were thankful. You knew that God had blessed you with a life that 95% of this world can't identify with. Amen? You live in the most amazing place this world has ever known. I have three bathrooms where I live. If I get lost, I can find a place to go. All I have to do to get potable water, and I can waste it. 
People who come here from foreign countries, you know one of the things that astonishes them? They come here from China. You know what, it's the hardest for them to get over? A grocery store. They go into a grocery store and they go, wow, no wonder y'all are fat. Amen? We have so much. We throw away off our table, out of our refrigerators, by far much more than most people have to eat. But they glorified God, not as God. Neither were they thankful. And so they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You know how, you know what means what, what I'm talking about when I say a foolish heart? You know what Americans believe? We pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps and we're here because we made it. Amen? Y'all ever heard of Amer uh, ugly Americans? You know what they are? Now, this is something back in the 50s and 60s that was popular today. We don't talk about it that much. But there was a time when we were so well off after World War II, everybody in the whole world should have been bowing at our feet because we were the conquerors. Amen. We, we showed everybody in the world thankful for that. But we got an attitude, didn't we? When, when we go to a different country, I'm American. You should treat me like Americans. Amen? We still have that attitude, by and large. Because of who we are, we have everything. And we think we deserve it. When I was growing up, people did not deserve to go to university. If you could go, it's because your parents were well off. We didn't have student loans. You could only go if your mom and dad could afford to pay you to go. Today, children have a right to university. Really? I'm not so sure it's even good for them. Knowing what some of them teach in school, I don't know if I want my kid to go to most of them. But there's an attitude here that's really questionable where we have this attitude where we think we deserve things that are really just blessings and we don't deserve any of it. If we lived anywhere else in the world, we would not think that way. Why do we think that way? Because we have so much. And we aren't thankful for it. We're never thankful for what we deserve. Matter of fact, we're only upset if we don't get what we deserve. Amen? Church, I'm telling you something. We need to pay attention here. Because it could be right around the corner where we're the ones without and somebody else has. And it won't be because God said, I'm going to just be mean to you. It'll be because God says, the best thing for you is to know what you should be thankful for. Remember how your dad was? 
I don't like greens. I don't like turnip greens. Hush up and eat them. They're good for you. You ought to be thankful. There are people, and you fill in the blank, who would give anything for those. Amen? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I don't know, but I don't think there's ever been a time when that was more true than it is for today. I listen to the news sometimes, and I am astonished at how foolish people sound. They say things that are just ludicrous. And they say them with straight faces, and they're wanting me to believe them. And I go, are you nuts? How many of y'all can tell the difference between a man and a woman? There are people in the Senate who cannot tell the difference. I heard them, I heard them, uh, a uh, Supreme Court nominee, they're asking this lady about if she can identify in a woman, and she said she couldn't. She can't, she could, I can't tell you. I can't tell you what a woman is. I can. I've known a couple in my life. I can tell, what, I can tell the difference. What's happening? America is becoming Foolish. Foolish. If it, wasn't, if it wasn't so sad, it would be funny. Hey, man, it would be funny. You listen to them say things, you go, if that didn't make me almost sick, I would have to laugh at you. What's wrong with you? And they say it with a straight face. They believe it. By the way, I, I think some of them have good intention. You know why? Because their eyes have been darkened. And they have vain imaginations. They've become foolish. They don't know. You know whose fault that is? The church. Church is supposed to be light and salt to a dark world. When it ceases to be what it's supposed to, the world is going to go to hell. And the church has played a part in it. Mark my words, we will be judged for that. Amen? That's not about election day. By the time you're, you're having to choose at election day, you're already in big trouble because you should not have people on the ballot who approve of abortion. You should not have people on the ballot who, who think that homosexuality is just a choice. And there aren't any, any wrong conclusions for a person that believes that way. There are. But we're here where that's going on. It's rampant in our society. And the church, by and large, is sitting on the sidelines going, what do we do? What do we do? We need revival, folks. We'll never elect that. We'll never elect enough people to change that. That's never the solution anyway. Now, I have, I have confidence in some people that I voted for. I've got a brother-in-law who's the sheriff over in Davidson County. And I know him. I've known him almost 30 years. And I know who he is. I trust him with my life. That's how good a guy he is. But there are lots of folks I don't, 
I can't give you that kind of reference for. But I have to choose somebody. I don't have time to go on with this, and I'm not going to take the time, but... I want you to notice that there are basically three places that you just need to... I want to draw your attention to these three things. Um, this is in um, verse 24. I want you to see this phrase. There are three of these. first one is in verse 24. It says, Wherefore God also gave them up. Think about what that means. That because of decisions you make, there comes a time when God says, I'm going to let you have what you want. God gives them up. But he doesn't stop there. Look down in verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. Verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. There is a process here where God is incrementally letting them go farther and farther. I uh, saw, I've uh, uh, been watching a series on John Adams. It was an um, HBO documentary about John, the life of John Adams, who was one of our founding fathers, the second vice president. Um, I'm sorry, your first vice president, second president. Um, John went to, um, in 1778, he left here, sent by the Continental Congress. We're in the, in the beginnings of, a, of the Revolutionary War. And he goes to France to help get from France the position of being an ally for us. And when he goes to France, Benjamin Franklin's already there. And Benjamin Franklin has acclimated himself to the French society. He's fitting in. He is uh, known as the frontier spirit. He's wearing fur and stuff like that. And he, he has his, uh, his sculpture done of himself. And he's in tight with the powers that be. Now, I want you to, historically, I want you to understand what's going on. 1778, that's 10 years, 1789, the French Revolution. So 10 years before the French Revolution, John Adams comes to France. And he is meeting with the ruling class, which is um, King Louis and, and, and all the duchesses and duchesses and uh, dukes and duchesses and uh, this, that, and the other. And there was a, I'm watching this, and he goes to meet with them. I was shocked at the way they were presented. There was... Everybody was in ruffles, and you've seen the pictures of the dress, the, the royalty, they were in ruffles and finery and wigs, but everybody wore makeup. Men, women had powder, rouge on their uh, lipstick, everybody's like that, and they're all, there's nobody that's serious about anything. There's a sense where Everybody is living for what they can get out of life. I don't have any morals. I, nothing stops me. What I want, I go for. If it's sexual partners, 
multiple, no marriage, everything's just whatever I want. This is the same class where Marie Antoinette, when they were told she should be concerned for the masses, and she says, let them eat cake. I don't care about them. They were so far away from the reality of a world that they lived in, they were given over to debauchery. They had followed this path. We have people that way today. Some of them are our neighbors. They've just given themselves over to whatever makes them happy, or whatever they think will make them happy. What I want is all that matters, nothing else. Doesn't that scare you a little bit? Your kids are growing up in that world, and it's not going to get better unless God intervenes. It's going to get worse. God tells us that there's a downward spiral for every society. Do you know that there has never been a society that lasted more than about 20 or 30 years after homosexuality became the norm? Why? Good question. Folks, I want you to get this. It's not them that's the real problem in our world today. It's us. We're the ones that are not going out there and saying, though you slay me, yet will I confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer to all our needs. We're not doing that. And the world is leaving this, this going into eternity without a hope. I don't want my children to face that. I've got a son who's not a Christian. I pray for him every night. I have grandsons that aren't Christians. That concerns me. My prayer is, Lord, help me to find a way to reach him. Help me to be a part of his solution. Let me, let me somehow, I don't want to alienate myself from him. I don't want to be a, a hindrance to him. But Lord, open a door so that somehow I can make inroads into his life, into my brother's life, into my sister-in-law's life, to my nieces and nephews, those who are out there. That's my family. But I've got friends that aren't right with God. I've got friends that became close to me. They're members of another church, another denomination, and they're opening their doors to homosexuality. They want to be a church that welcomes everybody. And I'm going to tell you something, my heart's broken for them. I'm praying for them. I'm finding ways, try to find ways to, to reach them. Not to the church, because the church is a non-entity. It's just a building, amen? But the people, the people that God loves, and they're going down this road. My prayer going into this this morning is this, this is a hard subject. It's tough. I know most people get to First Romans and they talk about homosexuality and I'm tired of that. What I'm not tired of is that the gospel is the power of Christ to change lives. And we need to be the ones that are making sure people don't go down this road, that they have chosen a better way, that they've chosen Jesus. Amen. Take this home with you. Chew on it for a while. How many of you ever 
been around cows. You know what chewing a cud is? They take something from the pasture home with them, and then later on they bring it up and chew on it a little while and go, okay. Then they bring it up again. I think it's three times, isn't it? Three stomachs. Christians would do well to do that, you know, take the word and just chew on it a while. You know what my hope is? I hoped for a, a new pastor for you. That was my prayer. But I have a new prayer for you. You got a pastor. My prayer is that you'll have revival. That you'll not settle for anything less than God's Spirit reviving you so that this little church on the corner here becomes a force for Christ in a dark world. And there's a dark world here. Amen. Let's stand. Go ahead and close. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Your word is sufficient when enlightened by your spirit to accomplish all you set it to do. So Father, this morning we ask that you would Open our hearts and our minds to your word that you would help us not just be hearers of the word but doers and that we would sense our need for revival and that we would pray and seek your face until we see a revival here at Greenwood Hills. I just pray, Father, you'd help us. I thank you, Father, that it's your desire, your will, and I pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a good day.